Matt after a week of uh, turkey and stuffing, mac and cheese on my end, maybe some dinner rolls, one or five of those, and uh, you know, generally some some libations. Cold Stove Podcast presented by Washed Media Live from the Lodge in Austin, Texas. NRD, how are you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? Very nice, Brett. Sweet potato pie. I know. Threw a little uh, threw a cog in the machine last week when people were trying to figure out where NRD is based out of. But I did have yeah. sweet potato pie. It was very good. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving as well. Hope everybody listening did. Thankful Absolutely, for you guys. So yeah, happy American Thanksgiving to uh, all of our American listeners out there. Happy Canadian, or excuse me, belated Canadian Thanksgiving to all of our Canadian fans out there. Now, speaking of Canadian Thanksgiving. There's problems in Montreal, NRD. Unfortunately for them, well, maybe maybe the fans are pretty happy about it. Mark Bergevin is no longer the GM of the Montreal Canadiens. Assistant GM Trevor Timmins and PR guru Paul Wilson are also out the door. Jeff Gorton is now in, and the search begins for the future GM in Montreal. There's no other way just to just a cold open uh, with Montreal. What do you think? That's all. That's that's how I'm going to approach it. We've said multiple times that Mark Bergevin and Dominic Ducharme, who you know has yet to fall, but they were both sitting ducks going into this year, and you know the writing was on the wall for Mark Bergevin to not be in Montreal going forward. But I'm still shocked that it happened now and not and not later. You knew he wasn't returning. I wondered if you know Montreal punted on the season and just said it was a lost year, and figured you know we'll let. We'll let Bergevin, we'll give him the respect that he's due for being in the organization for so long, kind of burning out the season on a lost cause anyway. But they make the move now. They clean house. Everybody around him has gone. So going forward for Montreal, I think this is, you know, after digesting it. So that was my initial reaction, which the shock and surprise that it kind of happened when it did. I thought they were just going to let him run his course. But digesting it a little bit more, I think it's the right move for Montreal. I mean, they brought in one of the smartest men in hockey that is not already hired by our organization in Jeff Gordon. So they have the right man at the helm. I think it's, you know, very interesting. And it's, it's the butt of many jokes about Montreal needing a French speaking general manager. I do think it's very interesting that, uh, Jeff Molson is changing up the chain of command in that organization to now say that Gordon as the executive vice president of hockey ops, is the day-to-day guy that is in charge of building that roster, and the Francophone GM is going to be more so of a PR department, a PR arm for Jeff Gordon and his decisions. So I actually think it's a really good move. It's just interesting because I know that Montreal has yet to hire a non-Francophone general manager, so that tradition continues. It's you know it's one of those things that we talk about around the National Hockey League. It's like tradition for Montreal. But I think all in all, it's the right moves, and I'm excited to see what happens now in this GM search because there are some very interesting names that I have been told are on the shortlist for Montreal and some very interesting names that are interested in that job and are not on the shortlist right now. Well, before okay, before we get to the names, is it fair to give Jeff Gordon credit for the current iteration of the New York Rangers? I think it's fair to give him credit for a lot of things now. A lot of things also kind of fell on his lap, right? Adam Fox, very talented player, wanted to be in New York. And I believe it was Elliot Friedman the other day who said, you still have to give, or it might have been Pierre LeBron, I apologize, it's one or the other. 
But you have to give Jeff Gordon credit for still being proactive enough to say, yes, this guy wants to come in New York and sign as a you know free agent out of the draft with his rights being given up by uh, by Carolina. But at the same time, he was proactive enough to go get him and trade the two second-round picks and say this guy is good enough to be in our lineup today. So he made that move happen. He brought the Rangers out of, you know, a disaster attempt to contend and contend after, you know, going to the Stanley Cup final in 2014. He charted the organization on a right course, made some big moves, getting rid of Rick Nash, getting rid of Ryan McDonough and JT Miller, two very solid players. I mean, there's no easy way of getting up those, giving up that talent. And quite frankly, you could say those deals are at a loss. Look at Ryan McDonough has done in Tampa Bay. He's won two Stanley Cups, JT Miller has just crushed it everywhere he's been since leaving the Rangers, whether it was in Tampa or now in Vancouver. He's playing really solid hockey. So, and the Rangers don't really have much to show for it. They have Libor Hayek, who's, you know, their seventh defenseman, who they don't want to put on waivers because he's probably not good enough to be traded, but good enough to be claimed somewhere. And they don't want to lose the last guy they have left from that from that trade. I mean, Brett Howden's in Vegas. He was the other big piece that the Rangers had high hopes for. So, some good moves, some bad moves in Jeff Gordon's tenure with the Rangers. They brought in John Davidson. I think the two of them worked really well as a pair. You could say that this Rangers team was really talented, maybe lacked in the grit department, and that's why they brought in guys like Ryan Reeves as soon as uh, Gordon and, uh, and John Davidson got the boot. But I give him a lot of credit for the ra- where the Rangers are right now. Just because, listen, it's it's one thing to have things like Adam Fox and you know the first overall pick fall on your lap, but you still have to make the right decisions, right? Like, you can take Rick DiPietro with the first overall pick. I mean, like, things come back to blow up in your face. You still have to, you're still the guy at the helm making those decisions. So I give him credit. I think he lucked into some things, but it's the right fit in Montreal. I, I wonder about the lucked into things because not only did he end up with the first overall pick, and uh, it has to be the highest lottery jump in, in a while, if not all time, and then is uh, Gary Bettman's hand-picked selection for that Montreal job, perhaps, if you read into Jeff Molson's press conference yesterday. Just wonder what Jeff Gordon knows about the uh, the boys over on Park Ave. Probably a lot. A little weird. I did think, <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you brought that up. I thought it was really strange that Jeff Molson would take the time to say that Jeff Gordon came as a recommendation from Gary Batman. I wonder if that's because of, you know, some skeletons in the closet that Jeff Gordon is aware of, or because of Gary Bettman not wanting to see the blue, blanc, and rouge uh, go down this very ugly path much further. By the way, I misspoke. Park Ave is the NFL headquarters. They are, NHL is now on 9th Ave. Pending, or not pending. I've seen his cushy cushy office in Hudson Hudson Yards. (laughs) They do have the new Hudson Yard spot. Anyway, let's get back to Montreal. You mentioned you have names. I'll just the floor is yours, NRD. What do you know about who will be the next uh, GM of the Montreal Canadiens, and will it be Patrick Waugh, My pick. For entertainment purposes, I really do hope it's Patrick Waugh. And you know, go, reading into some of the candidates that you know I wasn't fully up on their executive careers. I mean, obviously, the Canadians have a type. It's a it's a French speaking former player, is what oh, they're we- looking for. And I think that's really good because when you have a guy that's going to be the face in front of the media and have to relate to the players while Jeff Gordon sits in the office up top and makes the moves, I think you want that guy that can kind of have that presence in the locker room as well as with the fans. So it's a good type to look for. But at the same time, I went down the rabbit hole on Patrick Wall. I wanted really quick, what a fucking character this guy was. 
I mean, <laughs> obviously we know he's one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, but redigesting some of the highlights from Patrick Waugh all time, not just his you know playing career, but his coaching career and all that, you realize that the NHL sorely misses a personality like him. But I digress yeah. from that. I digress the, from that, the, but he's well missed. That whole, like, the, the NHL in 2002 was, like, my favorite NHL in history. You know, they, just between the characters, the Olympic rivalry between the Canadians and the United States, like, the Ronix of the world, and wow, and, you know, Scott Stevens, and that that level of NHL. Maybe I'm jaded because that's when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, and, like, really just coming into my own as a hockey fan, or nostalgic for that time, but something about that era just was so much fun. And then you pass the torch to the Crosby Ovechkin era, who has since passed it to the McDavid Drysaddle era, et cetera, et cetera. But well, yeah, you're saying Patrick Waugh is Patrick, Patrick Waugh's Waugh's great. I, for entertainment purposes, I love Patrick Waugh. And really quick, I know we love all the reviews. And, you know, when you guys leave us five stars and write it in, I know a couple of reviews have been that, you know, people are casual hockey fans starting to learn through our podcast. So if you get the chance... Just go back and watch the Detroit Red Wings versus the Colorado Avalanche anywhere from like 1996 Ugh. through 1998. You know, just every game. Just watch them in full. They're on YouTube somewhere. But uh, I won't spoil that for you. But Patrick Waugh, the concern with Patrick Waugh amongst the Montreal, organi- uh, Montreal organization is the ego, if you will. I This GM role is going to be a role that doesn't involve having full autonomy over, over the roster. It's going to be Jeff Gordon's autonomy. And we know Patrick Waugh has a penchant for being a little egotistical and a little um, controlling over his roster. He was in Colorado. Obviously, he worked pretty well with Joe Sackett, considering they were teammates and you know brothers in arms for so long in that locker room. But I think it takes a very unique personality to mesh with Patrick Waugh. That's why you've seen Patrick Waugh develop a lot of these roles, whether it's in the queue or in the NHL, where he's kind of the guy in control of the roster as well as coaching and all that, because not too many people mesh with his personality quite well. And I think that's the concern right now with Montreal. He is really interested in this job. I know that for a fact he said that. He was interested in the Montreal Canadiens coaching job before they made the decision to stick with Dominic Ducharme. But I think that he has not cracked that short short list yet for Montreal. Maybe if they expand the search. But right now I don't think Patty was on the list. However, there are two other goaltenders that are on this list that are really interesting names. Hit me. So number one being Roberto Luongo, Bobby Lou. Strombone one on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, great personality, almost in that same vein of Patrick Waugh, a little more humor than aggression from from uh, Luongo, but he has been working on the executive side of uh, of hockey for quite some time now. He's basically the goaltending czar in, in Florida with the uh, with the current Panthers front office regime, as well as being the assistant general manager for the upcoming Olympic team that you know may or may not be a thing. In, uh, in Beijing for Team Canada. So uh, Roberto Luongo is getting involved at the executive level around hockey, and he's on the shortlist for the Montreal Canadiens. The concern there is whether he'd want to leave the uh, the glitz and the glam of South Florida, the sunshine state, to go up to Montreal. He is a Francophone. He is a French-speaking executive around the National Hockey League that is a former player that is loved by fans and players and media alike so he fits that mold of what Montreal is looking for the other interesting name Martin Brodeur besides me besides my favorite my arch nemesis Martin Brodeur not as good as Patrick Waugh besides making horrendously ugly jerseys in collaboration with Adidas Martin Brodeur has been working alongside the New Jersey Devils front office for the past couple of years 
and he has done that very successfully. He's well-liked around the league. He's well-respected. I believe he did some time after retiring in St. Louis with their front office. Yeah, I was going to say, there was definitely a role in St. Louis for him. At, at More point. or less like an apprenticeship underneath, yeah. uh, underneath Doug Armstrong. But he has been learning his craft in the front office around the National Hockey League. He is also a French-speaking goaltender who is from Quebec. So that sort of homecoming makes sense for him as well. He has cracked the short list. Daniel Briere, a former Montreal Canadian, a former Philadelphia Flyer, and a former Buffalo Sabre, Brett. Daniel Briere is on that list. Another French-speaking forward. I'm not going to keep repeating myself because they're all French-speaking. You know that. But what's interesting about Danny Briere is that, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, he was the general manager of the Maine Mariners for a couple of years, you know, maybe about two or three years ago, when they were the ECHL affiliate of the New York Rangers, Jeff Gordon obviously being the GM of the New York Rangers at that time as well. So although they weren't necessarily working in uh, adjacent offices at One Penn Plaza, they were involved to some degree as a front office, as a general manager role with, with an affiliated organization between the Rangers and the Maine Mariners at that time. So there is a line of communication between Danny Briere and Jeff Gordon. And I think that that is probably the most interesting name, probably maybe even the leader in the pack right now, just based on Montreal's shortlist, um, just because of the connections to Gordon, the connections to the organization, well-liked. He's currently involved with the Flyers in the front office now, and you know he's easily poachable because it seems like Chuck Fletcher is holding on for dear life to his job. So uh, it's, you know, screw everybody to Chuck Fletcher. It's about himself at this point. So if they poach Danny Briere, I don't think the Flyers organization or Chuck Fletcher for that matter, cares too much. He's probably the leader. Other than that, you got Matthew Darsh. You have some names there. All that kind of fit that mold for Montreal. I'm quite interested to see where they go. But I, so I don't know. Something just keeps rubbing me the right, you know, the right way, the wrong way, whatever you want to call it, about the two goaltenders in Brodeur and Luongo. I, I think they'd make fantastic executives in Montreal. I think they'd learn on the fly in that job from Jeff Gordon. I think they both crush it. I think I'm going to – the leader in the clubhouse, right, is Matthew Darsh. For you. Um, I would argue and say it's Danny Briere, but yeah. Okay. No, if it is, I, that's my pick. If, if you can't do a, like a Patrick Waugh uh, player, coach, GM, he, he, could probably, he would probably suit up on the – like go out and make some saves on, on that team. Imagine if he was the coach and, and had sort of that GM authority. Who The Patrick Waugh thing is more for entertainment than anything. I think we made a – a point to mention that even when I brought it up, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was on, on Cold Stove? I think Danny Breer's my pick if I were to um, have one. Something about the way he communicated in Buffalo, what he's done with the Flyers and how he's kind of had that, that front office experience. He saw, people forget, Buffalo was good once. He saw a very good team come together. In a, even a couple different places when he was with Philly. That's a guy that deserves a chance. I don't know if, if it's like, you know, does he kind of get it, it, the chance sort of taken out from under him being under a Jeff Gordon so it's he doesn't get the autonomy that it, maybe he wants and uses it as a learning experience. I don't know if you kind of handcuff him by doing that, but he's a guy for me that I want to see get more of a shot, whether it's in Montreal or elsewhere. Um, one one thing I wanted to mention, though, was that Scott Mellenby was the assistant GM in Montreal before 
subsequently resigning, and that was Saturday night ahead of all of these changes. And that's kind of what tipped people off that, hey, something is happening here. Apparently, you know, TSN reported that he was told that he's not going to be in line for that job, even in the interim capacity, and said, okay, fuck it, I'm out. Anything on that situation? Nothing more than it's quite interesting. I mean, that guy, Scott Mellonby, is one of those executives around the league that um, if Chris Jury was the hottest name before he got the permanent job in New York, I would say Scott Mellonby was probably number two uh, in terms of young executive talent, young obviously meaning in terms of experience, executive talent that was next in line to get a uh, general manager job in the NHL. So the fact that Montreal didn't consider him is interesting for Montreal. I get the perspective of Jeff Molson to say, listen, we're going to clean house, really. And they did, pretty much. They they even fired the PR director. So they, they cleaned that entire front office out. And I get that aspect of it, too. But Scott Mellonby is not going to be long for without a front office role in the National Hockey League, maybe even a general manager position when one opens up. Maybe Vancouver. Jim Benning doesn't have much time left there. So there there's... Spots for Scott Mellonby. I'm just a little surprised. I get the cleaning of the house and the changing of the guard in Montreal, but at the same time, I'm a little surprised. Not at least considering Scott Mellonby, unless uh, unless something happened behind the scenes unbeknownst to me. Two final things on the Montreal Canadiens. One, where does this leave Dom Ducharme? Is, has anything changed on that front? No, I think Dom Ducharme is at the mercy of the court right now. Uh, when When Jeff Gordon gets the time to, you know put his picture frames up on the desk and, and get comfortable in Montreal. And then, and then when they bring in a general manager who will obviously have some say I, this general manager job, and just to be clear, it's not like you're a yes man for Jeff Gordon. You're going to learn on the fly. You're going to be making some decisions. You're a valuable, valuable um, decision maker in the room. But at the same time, it is Jeff Gordon's operation day to day. But in collaboration, I think Jeff Gordon, the new general manager will sit down and evaluate the coaching staff and the players on the roster I would still lean heavily to Dom Ducharme not being the guy behind the bench for the Montreal Canadiens next I would say more than 70% next year not on the bench. Maybe like 50-60% he doesn't end the season in Montreal. He does not um, doesn't have any ties to Jeff Gordon or, or anybody in the Montreal front office at this point. So I think it's more so of a wait and see. The hammer's about to fall on Ducharme. It's, a, it's an evaluation thing that'll happen once you know, Gordon and the new general manager get comfortable. Number two, is there any, or let me, let me categorize it as this. Is there a non-zero chance that Julien Brisebois heads home and tries to save the Montreal Canadiens? It's a tough question. Cause you would think that there would be a non-zero chance, right? Like he's, he's, the, it's certainly not 90, but is it zero? Maybe 0. 0.5, maybe 5 tenths of a percentage <laughs> point. Like, the guy, the guy was a successor to, you know, Steve Eiserman. He's killing it. He's picked up where Eiserman's left off in Tampa Bay. He's learned from the best. He's developed a new home there anyway. So, But it's like, like Blink-182 in 2006. You know, they're just like, we've had hit after hit after hit after album after album. They're just like... Should we change up the sound a little bit? Yeah, listen, don't even get me started on bands breaking up because I've, I've been big into that Beatles documentary that came out over the past week. Very good documentary, by the very way. Very good. Fully recommend. 
I, I don't, you know, when the Stones are 95 and they're still kicking around stage, I don't know how a band that, you know, grew up at the same time the Beatles decided to just call it quits when they did. I give them all the kudos in the world. But nonetheless, yeah, I'd say less than a percentage point on Breezeball. I think he's developed a he's developed a new home in Tampa. I think that's fair. I, that was more just throwing it out there for it's fun. It's interesting. It's fun. Something that has not been thrown out there for fun uh, is a player in Boston by the name of Jake DeBrusque. We reported on this very podcast that he was falling out of favor with the coaching staff and a trade had not been uh, asked for yet, but subsequently it has. What do you know about Jake DeBrusque and where he might be headed? First off, I believe falling out of flavor was the comment that I actually made, which I still think we should put on a shirt. <laughs> it was only a couple of days before Thanksgiving, yes. so uh, pardon me for the food pun. But he is out of favor in Boston. He's requested a trade now. He's one of those change of scenery guys. Listen, I think Jake DeBrus still is a second-line winger in the National Hockey League if he reaches his full potential. I wouldn't say the book is fully written on Jake DeBrusque on who he is. We've learned that from none other than Ryan Strom with the New York Rangers. You know, a super-duper talent coming out of the draft that severely underachieved both, you know, for, for Strom's case on Long Island and then in Edmonton and then kind of hit his stride with the right line mates in New York with the Rangers. So I don't think the book is written on Jake DeBrusque. He does have a ton of value around the National Hockey League. I believe Ryan Rashog of TSN reported up to eight teams have, have made calls to, to Boston to try to broker a Jake DeBrusque trade. We know from Andrew Peters, our buddy over at uh, After Lay Whistle, that uh, the Sabres are one of those teams. I could tell you that Calgary is in the mix. Vancouver is also in the mix as well as they look to kind of shake up that locker room and change the scenery there. I know Don Sweeney's a big fan of Connor Garland. I know that he tried to get him out of Arizona. I don't know how well those efforts will uh, will be perceived this go-around considering Garland is probably the best player on the Vancouver Canucks right now. But, you know, hey, don't fault Don Sweeney for trying. Maybe if it involves DeBrusque and another piece going that way. Either way, Vancouver's inter- interested in DeBrusque nonetheless. The Rangers, we know, are looking for a middle six forward. And, you know, if you're Don Sweeney, you got to get the best offer available for a guy that's requested a trade. So I don't think uh, the rivalry there with the Rangers would preclude anything. And, you know, Minnesota, another team that's looking to change things up in the locker room. They have Kevin Fiala, who uh, was probably on his way out. So there are options for Jake DeBrusker in the National Hockey League. And I think he's a hell of a player. I think that uh, I think that his fit in the lineup in uh, – in that lineup in in Boston, he hasn't been able to carve out a role that works best for his style of play. But I think, and uh, I think in other locations, he'll hit his stride. I, I like I said, I don't think the book is written on him yet. Yeah, you know, he's he's one of those guys that it just it, it has never felt like he's caught on. Whether that's the style that he plays versus what Boston does, whether that the line mates he's been with, there's a couple situations like that. Like you look at a, a Dylan Strome, for example, in Chicago who somebody tweeted this today and I, I totally agree with because Andres Bjork just suffered the same fate in Buffalo. It's healthy scratch, gets an opportunity, plays really well, slides down the lineup because the coach wants to play a different role, doesn't perform, doesn't produce with you know shittier line mates, and then gets healthy scratched again. That's the Jake DeBrusque method. So he, you're right about the change of scenery part of this where he's going to go somewhere and play second line minutes with two talented people and it's going to be a, a whole new world for him. That's why I wouldn't. When, when PD tweeted that Buffalo was interested, I said, "That's a great one. That that's a great potential pick." Granted, he is an RFA at the end of this year, so maybe it's not. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them like that. 
unless they feel confident that he would want to stick around for the future, but they could re-sign him, et cetera. I don't know what kind of contract he would be looking at. He's at, uh, what does he have right as we speak? Uh, making, 3. Yeah, 3. Three 3.65 yeah. right now. Three and a half for the year as a restricted free agent. And it, it's a good point that you brought up really quick about the fact that, you know, you would say a young talent like Jacob DeBrusque who needs a change of scenery would make sense for a team like a Buffalo who's rebuilding and can use that young um, veteran but young talent in the lineup sure. considering yeah. they have a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. But you bring up a good point about the fact that he is a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So you wonder if he does not make as much sense as you would think for those teams that are looking for young talent because of that fact. They'd like younger guys with term in Buffalo, in Arizona, in these teams in Ottawa, these teams that are kind of at the lower uh, lower half of the league right now. So we know the Sens are interested, but I would group them in with the with the Arizonas and the Buffaloes and the San Jose's of you know prospective teams that... You have to bring this guy in and be confident enough that you can negotiate a, a contract with him as a restricted free agent at the end of the year based on what? He's going to insert himself into a lineup that's not very good, and then you're going to ask him to kind of change the scenery and prove himself. I think he's more so a rental for a fringe team, like a like a, a New York Ranger team or a Calgary team. Or, or, you know, Vancouver's a little different. I'll put them in a different bracket just because they're trying to just, you know, shake up whatever's in the bottle right now. But... He makes sense for a team that can use that talent and let him grow in a in a very talented lineup and not have to worry about the restricted free agent decision. So it's a good point you brought up with Buffalo. Or, you know, look at it this way. You have a an RFA who will be due for a raise. I don't know how much of a raise that'll be from 3.675. But if he goes to a team as a pending RFA who will have limited... Uh, loyalty built up at that point, right? Like, if you're Boston, you would have to sign them, and it would be a whole whole big deal. If you're, we'll say Buffalo for example, and he comes in, plays second line wing minutes, or even shoot on that team, first line wing minutes, and he puts up, you know, call it thirty points in his last twenty one games or something like that, and then an offer sheet is not going to piss off the GM as much as it might if he was there for four years. And you say, yeah, I will gladly accept the you know, second and fourth, whatever the pitch may be for an offer sheet, uh, and almost use it as a, as a trade chip in that sense. Or you just let him utilize his value and, and trade him straight up at the, you know, before the free agency kicks in. I think it's smart for a team like Buffalo. Now that I'm, I'm, I'm going around the circle of, mm-hmm. of thought. I'm thinking out loud here. I've come around on Jake DeBrus to Buffalo. Get, let me have him. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna try to Tanya Harden you with the knees right now on your take, but oh uh, I will chop you down on the fact that you know GMs are soft. They they're afraid to give the offer sheet. So you know, even with True. a guy like the value of Jake DeBrus, who wouldn't require you to give up a whole bunch with an offer sheet, they're just afraid to make that move in general. I think. You would also just trade for him. I, yeah, I realize you trade for him. You know, you trade for his rights or whatever. And he is. Yeah. It's a little different trading for a guy who's a restricted free agent for his rights than an unrestricted free agent because you're more or less have the control of him. Whereas an unrestricted free agent, that's why you see like the one major trade I could think of. You know, over the past couple of years or a couple major trades. One being, you know, Barkley Goodrow to the Rangers. It was a sixth round pick. It wasn't a very big uh, return for a guy of his caliber because he's an unrestricted free agent. He could walk in a week. Whereas with an RFA. You know, you slap a qualifying offer on him. He's 
retained to your team at least through December 1st if he decides not to sign right away on the dotted line. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit more value as a trade chip for for the rights to an RFA. But yeah, listen, he makes sense. I think that theory is perfect if GMs were more uh, welcoming to an offer sheet. But he does make listen. He doesn't. He doesn't not make sense for a Buffalo Sabres team. I'd give him the money. Listen, if, if you want my personal opinion, I'd bring Jacob DeBrusque in, in your bu- if you're Buffalo, and I'd immediately start to negotiate an extension with him, at least to get you through uh, through another year in Bridget, maybe a, a year or two year deal. I think he's very talented. I think he'd excel tremendously on a team like Buffalo that can use a guy like that that just comes into the lineup and scores goals and kind of plays with speed and does whatever he does. Like I said, I think he's been hampered a lot with uh, with the system that Boston likes to play. But, no, there are options for him around the league. That's why I'm not surprised to see that there's 8, 9, 10, 13, 14 teams that are interested in Jake DeBrus because he does have value despite not having the value in Boston. He's talented. Right, yeah, well, why wouldn't you be? Uh, a relatively cost-controlled rental at the very least, and a young, promising talent who's not who, who will get a modest raise that you can build around going forward. Absolutely, he's a, it's a, a, a all thirty teams should be interested. You know, like that's well, thirty two now. Shoot, I'm I'm used to two thousand two NHL, like I said. But if you're a, if you're in the NHL, you should be interested in this guy because now he's pissed off. He's chip on his shoulder type of guy. He's he's buried in the lineup in Boston on a team that shouldn't really be burying anybody because they're trying to figure it out. In a in a contract year, where he wants to make something for himself, I would be on the phone tomorrow. Now, bring me to my next point. There's two sides to every trade. What is Boston looking for in exchange for a guy like Jake DeBrusque? You know, you brought up an interesting point about Boston being a team that that is still trying to figure out what they're doing and where their position is around the league right now in the standings. I would have a hard time seeing Boston selling a guy like Jake DeBrusque for just straight futures. I don't think it makes sense for the way Boston is constructed right now to take maybe like a second round pick or all right, let's let's go with that offer sheet, you know, value for example, a two and a four, right? For for his pay scale. I think I gotta look up exactly what the offer Even sheet is. Even if it is, is no, I'll take your listen, I, I trust you. We don't you know, you could be de facto cold stove intern for the day. I trust <laughs> you on that math. But say it's a two and a four or a two and a three, right? Like I don't know if that makes a lot of sense for Boston in where they are right now to just bring in straight futures, especially not a first-round pick. I think a another change of scenery guy, maybe maybe DeBrusque and a pick going the other way for a Kevin Fiala or a Connor Garland, like I mentioned, is something that Boston would probably be, be more accepting of just because they could bring in a talent into that lineup that maybe fits what they want to do a little bit better and provide, um, provide some scoring, and then they could focus on the defensive end. Uh, come trade deadline and they're bringing Tuka Rask back, but uh, that's that's for another conversation at another time. But they, um, I think you're looking for a change of scenery player in a similar situation. Maybe a guy that's a little bit worse, maybe a guy that's a little bit better, depending on you know a pick or two to balance out the trade. But I think if Dylan Dubé in Calgary, if they go that route, like I said, I think of a Connor Garland in, in, in um, Vancouver, if they go that route, I think of a... Maybe a Ryan Strom with the Rangers. I know the Rangers probably wouldn't want to give up, you know, somebody down the middle for a winger right now with the way their team's constructed. But Dylan Strom, another Strom that came to mind in uh, in Chicago. Like, those are the types of guys that I'm looking at in the Jake DeBrus return. Guys that could probably play and maybe have that similar kind of have not lived up to that potential um, aspect of their game that Boston could take and put in the lineup and contribute in a way that Jake DeBrus wasn't giving them right now. 
you know where I could see him going in and, and being like a fan favorite and playing really well on a GM that needs help today is Philly. I don't there's no smoke to that or anything. I just yeah. I can see like like a DeBrusque and a uh Farabee line just, just giving people nightmares. And Lord knows Philly needs help right now. Speaking of Philly, uh you want to just take this away with whether it's Claude Giroux or Alain Vigneault? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to discuss about the Philadelphia Flyers. First of all, the organization is in shambles right now. I mean, they've tried immediate corrective action over the past two or three seasons now, and none of it's worked. They're in the same spot that they were last year, struggling. They started off hot. They've now gone ice cold. I understand the Kevin Hayes uh, situation between what he dealt with in the offseason and the injury. They're... Probably not as many valid excuses as another team in the Metro. I'm guessing you all know who I'm referring to, the New York Islanders. But they have some excuses. But uh, disappointment, absolute disappointment. And I think it's weighing on the fans. I know, shout out to my buddies at the Snow the Goalie podcast, you know, Rush Joy and Ant Sanfilippo. They've been calling uh, for the heads of ownership for a while. And just to reevaluate what, what, um, what course they chart for the team in terms of fan engagement, in terms of the front office, in terms of the coaching staff. And listen, I second those calls as a interested viewer of the Philadelphia Flyers as well, right? Like they're struggling mightily. We know that the first step in the in the heads to fall would probably be Elaine Vigneault, but the issue there is with Elaine Vigneault, and, and I've been saying this, everybody, everybody that follows the Flyers that also follows me on Twitter knows that I've been saying this for the past year, the Philadelphia Flyers, simply because of the ownership being, you know, as acting as light in the pockets as they do at times, do not want to buy out the contract of Elaine Vigneault. And that's the issue right now with the with the coaching staff in Philly, is that you have to pay Elaine Vigneault to fire him. And I don't think that you know Comcast and the ownership there wants to do that right now. So beyond Vigneault, who's the next guy in the fall line? Chuck Fletcher. Well, he wants to save his job just as much, probably not more than Elaine Vigneault wants to save his. So... Chuck Fletcher is going to do whatever he can at this point to kind of retool that roster. And if that includes, and this is what I've you know heard over the past 48 hours, if that includes exploring a future without Claude Giroux in the Philadelphia Flyers lineup, I believe he will explore it. Now that's a gigantic trade to make. I mean, you're getting rid of the captain of the organization who's been there for his entire career. I don't, I couldn't even begin to tell you who would be interested or what they'd be interested in giving up for a Claude Giroux, but nothing is off the table in Philly right now to try to retool and save a front office and coaching staff that is surely doomed should have been doomed probably weeks ago but you know ownership having their own issues has kept them afloat so desperate times calls for desperate measures in philadelphia the point on ownership and this is throughout the league now with the the penguins selling not even a full stake in the, a majority stake sure but for 900 million dollars I think people are going to see that number and say, am I ready to take that kind of cash for my franchise and flip it to somebody else? I know that might be the case in Philly. I know that can certainly be the case in Buffalo because they've already been, the, the Pagulas have already been approached about minority stakes in the team. They care about one team a whole lot more than the other. That You know, you're, you're never supposed to have a favorite child, NRD. Uh, they have a favorite child in Buffalo, and that's the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Josh Allen's pretty good, but he's pretty tall too. 
Looks great in shorts. They, they, the Padulas will be approached, and they will consider offers for the Buffalo Sabres. Maybe not today, but once that Board of Governors meeting happens, first or second week of December, and that and the deal is officially done, which is basically just a formality at this point, they will be approached, and they will listen. And I'm looking forward to that because they they're so much better off, especially with a new stadium coming, which is is for all intents and purposes just about a done deal in Western New York, which is awesome. I'd love to keep the Bills there. The Sabers are second fiddle in their mind and in their pockets, and they see a number like this in in Pittsburgh, and they say, "Yeah, I I, I like the sound of that." Um. Anything else on on Philly quickly and AV or or Fletcher or that ownership? Just really quick on the ownership, it, it's a similar position in, in, in Philly as Buffalo, as you just mentioned. I think that uh, Comcast, you know, obviously Comcast is a is a conglomerate. They have so many different facets of their of their company. But interesting to see that they've kind of been getting out of the sports game in media, obviously shutting down NBC Sports Network at the end of this year. Going more so the you know Disney Fox route in terms of what they want the company to do, and this is a little like CNBC segment with NRD, but uh, <laughs> no, they're going down that path of wanting to be more of a media company and kind of getting rid of you know any assets that they have that isn't profitable for the for the company and getting out of the sports game at least on the media side. And now they still have NBC Sports affiliates around the country, but looking at you know Bally's who just bought out the Fox Sports RSNs. And what they're doing, if if NBC Comcast would be willing to listen to offers on the on the RSNs on the regional sports networks, which they are, I wonder if they even want to be involved in sports at all at this point. So I think that's an interesting thing to watch in terms of the ownership group in Philly. Is you know, as Comcast repositions that company and they kind of cut out dead assets. What do they think of the Flyers? And seeing that nine hundred million that the Pittsburgh Penguins just sold for, and seeing that these other big sports conglomerates, these sports companies, want to get involved in higher ownership stakes, you know, is that something that the Flyers entertain down the line? So it's 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 an interesting proposition. Yeah, in in on the NBC side of things, they lose the NHL rights. They don't get the B package either. They don't have a streaming service to to sell hockey on. So their RSNs are funneling people to not nothing at this point. The Flyers aren't a needed asset, so of of course you got to be looking at selling the team. And and why why would you want to buy out Elaine Vigneault if you know you're not going to be the one who is going to select his successor, right? Like it just makes way too much sense. And I think uh, I think you're right, and that's a team we'll be hearing at the very least listening to offers yeah and it's just sad too because we know how much ed snyder cared about that organization and how well yeah. he, he ran the philadelphia flyers i mean they were you know not including the battery throwing fans they've always been an organization of class and uh, under yes. ed snyder, at santa claus no at no, santa no. claus yeah i mean philly's tolerant i'll say that but uh but they've always been a very passionate organization and and first class in terms of other stuff and you're starting to see some of those things slip away under under current ownership, and I wonder if that's, uh, like I said, from lack of caring, from from lack of uh, from lack of resources, from lack of 
knowledge in the room. I don't know what it is, but just something is not right in Philadelphia right now. It's not always sunny. Uh, well done. Well done. Gone are the days of, uh, oh, who am I thinking of? Like the Mark Recchi days. Yeah. I, I'm I am nostalgic for, for old time hockey. No, I call it old time hockey. Like 2000s hockey. So people who are older than us are going to listen to this podcast and be like, shut up. Old time hockey in 2004. Legion of Doom line, Any. man. Legion of Doom. Lindros. That's true. Recchi. Was it Lindros? No, Lindros, LeClaire, Lindbergh, right? Yeah, John LeClaire, uh, Vermont guy. Yeah. Shouts to him. Uh, you mentioned AV having the leash that might be a little bit longer considering the future of the Flyers. A guy whose name has popped around a little bit on Twitter, and I want to put to bed these rumors, Paul Maurice in Winnipeg. I'm gonna, I won't even let you speak here, NRD. Paul Maurice is not going anywhere this year. They are going to get another shot at Edmonton in the playoffs before they would consider a change there. Agree or disagree? I agree with that. I think emphasis is on this year. If they evaluate anything, it's going to be done after the season. Winnipeg, you know, they've struggled at times. They've succeeded at times. They're not a team that would look to make a move in, in season. It doesn't make any sense for them right now. They're Like you said, they're going to have their shot at Edmonton in the playoffs. They're probably going to get in. So to make that move now, it just doesn't make much sense. Totally agree. A guy who maybe uh, also needs a change change of scenery, like we mentioned to Bruce before, is Matt Murray with the Ottawa and now Belleville Senators. Anything on kind of a, a weird situation with a goaltender who was paid big bucks and has had some injuries, has had COVID, has had a team in front of him that it hasn't exactly helped him out? And now is seemingly uh, as deep in the doghouse as you can get with, quote, no plan for his future and another, quote, zero communication from GM to Matt Murray. Very Vegas Golden Knights-like, right? To, like, get rid of a goaltender and not even really communicate with him that they're getting rid of him. Wow. So uh, It's a Marc-Andre flurry drop for everybody out there. Both were in Pittsburgh at one point, too. Weird, weird coinkydinks. Mm. Um, mm. But... No, listen, Matt Murray is, we know that he battled with COVID at one point, and I believe, I couldn't, you know, contribute to who said it, but I read something the other day that he might be still dealing with some symptoms from COVID as well. Some long COVID, as they call long it. Long COVID, as they call it, which, you know, is a thing for some of these players. So, sure. I wonder if that compounded some, some performance issues in Ottawa for Matt Murray. There were talks maybe for like a two-hour stretch that Buffalo would be the team that trades for him. He goes on waivers. He goes unclaimed. I wonder if kind of the long COVID has a lot to do with going unclaimed and maybe teams wanting to see him go to Belleville and skate a little bit and maybe rehab his game before considering a trade for Matt Murray. Because really, if if you wanted, like if Buff, Buffalo can afford to claim Matt Murray, right? So if they were interested in Matt Murray, they would have just claimed him. So I wonder if the issue is, you know, his health in terms of long COVID and in his performance and how that compounds and maybe, excuse me, going to Belleville is the correct option for him. But it is quite interesting that, you know, he hasn't spoken to Pierre Dorian uh, since, since being waived. Uh, There's another, there's another Pierre in that front office that I don't think would let that happen. (laughs) I think, I think, listen, for all the shit that we give him, I think Pierre Maguire is a holistic guy. He'd sit Matt Murray down, tell him everywhere he played in juniors, and then say you're going down to Belleville. Add that to the list. But he's a, 
he's an interesting case, right? Because he has two Stanley Cups, but uh, how much contribution can we give him for those for at least the first Stanley Cup with Mark Andre Fleury still being there? Yeah, you're you're right. He's sort of an interesting case across the board. He's six point two five cap hit. His cap or his salary increases next year to seven million and increases the year after that to eight million. So he's not only is he cap expensive, he's also like cash expensive, which is why I think a team like Buffalo would would run quickly away from that, especially kind of a, an unproven guy who hasn't played well with a potential illness that's nagging. Um, but he's he's ultra talented. It's like it, maybe it's a Carter Hart situation where he's had this weird couple years stretch and can he bounce back? Or is there something underlying, whether it's the team in front of him or the contract expectations or something going on mentally that has knocked him off his game? And so I just, I, I root for him because I think he's a talented goalie. It was fun to watch him in Pittsburgh um, shut down Buffalo teams for a couple of years. But I just, I wonder what the next step is, especially with an organization that's not giving him any guidance on that. The the weird thing is you would say that Matt Murray's a change of scenery guy, but he was a change change of scenery guy when the Penguins traded him to Ottawa. So I'm one of those people in the camp of change of scenery. You get one change of scenery coupon in your career. And Matt Murray kind of already used that by going from Pittsburgh yeah. to Ottawa. So He also has a by the way, a ten team NTC. I want to point that out. So it's not as easy as just well, he was waived, so it could have been that easy. He but. was waived, so kind of cancels that out for now, but yeah, but I think the change of scenery narrative around Matt Murray is obviously old and dead because he got what he wanted and he went to Ottawa. Granted, Ottawa has not been very good since they traded for Matt Murray, so you can you can understand that to some extent. But they have defensive talent in Ottawa, right? They have Thomas Shabbat, they have Eric Brandstrom that they traded that they acquired from Vegas. So like they have they have talent on the blue line there. And they obviously have Brady Kachuk, and you know they're set up front. They're they're starting to come out of this rebuild to some degree. They're not they're not going to. Well, at least you you think you would think they would be, especially with a guy like Matt Murray in the net. And that's why that's why it makes him such an interesting case. I think that I think the confusion. I would chart without without digging deeper right now to sum up everything with Matt Murray. I'd say confusion is the word, and I think that's why he kind of went unclaimed. That's why he hasn't been traded yet. I think a lot of teams are confused on what exactly is going on with Matt Murray. Changes the scenery. Doesn't get it done in Ottawa either, and he finds himself in the AHL now. I think teams are not only saying that with Matt Murray, but Ottawa in general. Like We mentioned that this should have been a step forward year. I don't think he was, was picking him to win the division by any means, but you didn't expect them to be hanging with the Buffalo Sabres this year, right? No. Is that fair to say? No. So, so I guess, what, is it, is it from a GM standpoint or, or organizational standpoint, is it maybe some message sending? Like, hey, we don't, we don't care what, how much you get paid. This team needs to figure it out. Or, hey, we need, we need you to play somewhere so we can use you as a trade ship and we don't want you to get lit up for four goals a night up here so your value is, is low because you're already expensive. I don't know what the situation is in Ottawa, because I think there's more problems than, than just Matt Murray. A lot of issues. Yeah, you know. And right. I, what's interesting is we're talking, you know, on the topic, I guess if the if the topic of the day is general managers, you know, how has Pierre Dorian escaped what he's escaped for so long? 
Yeah. Well, I think he had the excuse with the insane ownership the last couple of years. So I think that might have been, in a weird way, giving him excuses to stay in his job about that whole fiasco. But but now, we're, we're you know, the Rangers take a step forward. The Devils have taken a step forward. Everybody's in that, that basement. The Detroit, for example, has taken a step besides Ottawa. Yeah, it's it's strange, and I don't know why he's escaped the, uh, like, I mean, you told me why, from your opinion, which I agree with, but still, it's just odd that, you know, we talk about Jim Benning and Mark Bergevin's obviously not there anymore, and now there's executive talent, a guy like Scott Mellenby, so I I just, you know, something to watch for, nothing, nothing concrete yet, it's not a report, but, uh, just something to watch for in Ottawa, because their team is... On paper, and I get it, the game is not played on paper, it's played on ice, but on paper they are just way too talented at this point now to be where they're at. Shall we hit the box thoughts, whip around, NRD? You ready for this? COVID has returned to the league in a heavy way. Islanders have had games canceled. Ottawa's had games canceled. Um, it, it, you know, Testing is obviously through the roof still. Vaccines have been shown to wane in not necessarily uh, efficacy, but sort of protection in a... I'm trying to say this correctly so we don't get flamed out of the building here. They wane in protectiveness from the 95% at inception to 50% or so after six months, and booster implementation has been less fervent than an initial vaccine. Um. Again, looking for the correct word here. Initial vaccine uptake. So no, I think you said that well. Where does that leave the lead right now in terms of COVID? Because I think it's sort of becoming a, a regular part of the game. And how many games are going to be canceled before this becomes a serious Olympic issue? Well, there, I believe we're down to like one or two players that aren't vaccinated in the National Hockey League at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, Which is, by which the is way. an awesome thing. Now, that being said... We're not we're not nearly at those numbers with the with the booster, as you mentioned, and I think mm-hmm. you said that well. I mean, I will not try to act like I'm a doctor to any degree or a scientist or anything of that matter. But I, I think you said it well in the sense that you know you, you get the two shots or or the one shot if you're if you're taking that one, and then the efficacy wanes a little bit. But you know you're still protected, you still have the antibodies, but it's always good to get the booster. Now that being said, it's just the numbers aren't there amongst players in the National Hockey League. This is a topic discussion around the league right now. Especially with Beijing looming. And I think that's the major contention point now. That is the the breaking point between the Players Association and the league right now. There are starting to be... They're, they're rumbling starting up behind the scenes between players and management and ownership of, of certain organizations that have a lot of guys that are you know on these Olympic camp rosters. Maybe as a as a little test to see how interested they really are going to Beijing at this point. We know that around the National Hockey League, only two teams have had games postponed so far, being the Islanders and the Senators that you mentioned. The, be- the belief right now is that that magic number is eight because the Islanders had seven guys in the COVID protocol and they played once they had the eighth guy go. Um, they were postponed and the Ottawa Senators took a jump from like five guys to 10 guys and then they were postponed. So, you know, doing some quick math and easy deductions, you would say that eight guys is that number that the NHL is now postponing games for a team with. 
But so far, knock on wood, we haven't hit that point yet with any other organization. But eventually, something has got to give here, right? Like, players are not getting boosters at the numbers they were getting the initial vaccine. COVID is spreading around the National Hockey League. Listen, not not putting these guys on ventilators or anything like that. They're, they're doing all right for themselves. But they're out with COVID or they're close contacts of somebody with COVID. So you're going to have to postpone games. And what's always... Take take the pet. Listen, I think the players should be at the Olympics. Take that out of it for one second, because I'll never win that. Uh, I'll, I'll side with anybody who has that argument. I would never agree with somebody who has is against that take. But how much money at this point could the NHL be gaining from going to Beijing and risking players having to quarantine there for three weeks if they test positive, versus just keeping the lights on and the gates open at their arenas around the league and bringing in ticket sales and TV deals, you know, to to make up the postponed games at this point? And I think that's the question. I. So you need to, uh, as and you as not NRD, you as the owners need to consider what creating a generation of of potential American heroes or or Canadian heroes does for kids who are twelve watching the game and then want to go to the game. Who maybe a, an eight year old didn't give a fuck about hockey, but he watches TJ Oshie go four for four against the Russians and says, "Now I do," and now that kid is playing major juniors in Quebec or whatever it may be, you know, whatever that something may be, even if it gets one more kid in the game than status quo, that's a win. Because guess what? Hockey's not growing and it needs as many shots in the arm as it can get. The Olympics being a major player for that. And it's not, you're not sending Rasmus Rista line into the Olympics. You're sending the best of the best. So ownership, if I, if I am a, a Brady Kachuk, I say, blow me. I'm going to the Olympics because the NHL has laid out a path for us to do so, and and obviously Bettman is in with the ownership, and that's that could be the kiss of death, but these guys have trained their entire lives to play in best-on-best tournaments that, the, that hockey doesn't have besides for the Olympics. You can call the World Cup best-on-best, but half the guys are still in the playoffs, and, and it just doesn't have the same you know, gravitas, the magnitude. The Olympics is the one tournament on the planet, and look at the popularity of the World Cup in soccer. That's what the NHL needs. That's what hockey needs to create moments like that. And for ownership to be short-sighted and uh, and, and think about their pocketbooks in the very near term is just, I, I just cannot stand when people are that, I, I, I said short-sighted, that that. The word I keep coming to. I just cannot stand ownership being that way. I cannot stand the NHL being that way. When you need to create moments that we can play on highlight reels for years and years and years, albeit in dog shit jerseys, but that's another point for another day. I, I think you need the Olympics as, as a hockey league because you need the best on best. And there are potential protocols in place to make sure guys don't get sick. Because I know one of the fears is that a Beijing quarantine is a whole lot different than a uh, Boston quarantine because you're like literally not allowed to move if you test positive for COVID over there. So in in response to some of this COVID stuff, the NHL has taken measures such as canceling holiday parties, canceling in-person autograph sessions. There's, they still have the press out of the most locker rooms. So there's still there are things are, are taking place behind the scenes. But I do wonder how many games have to be canceled or postponed 
until somebody says, hey, you're not going. Whether that's Bettman or a majority of the ownership, which ipso facto would be done through Bettman once that vote's in place type of thing. It just, I don't have as much confidence as I did that they were going, and it's going to be an absolute shame. But I just hope that we can figure something out on the back end of this. Because the owners already, they, they already are owed money from the players. We know this from last year. And so maybe that's used as a negotiating chip for the players. Like, hey, you need more revenue. Let us create revenue by going to the Olympics. I, I just, I don't know. I'm talking in circles right now. I just, I, I'm trying to find ways to think of how this is going to work. And the more that people are diagnosed, the less likely it feels that this is going to happen. You laid out excellent. I'm not. I, listen, I will start what I'm about to say next by saying that I'm not going to argue on a single point that you made because I agree with you on one thousand percent, one trillion percent. But you know, we know that the the owners around the National Hockey League are two things: they are old, in age, and they are short sighted. And I don't think yeah. they care <laughs> enough yeah. about like. Take Jacobs in Boston, right? Mr. Jacobs, as uh, Larry Brooks of the New York New York Post likes to call him. Do you think in his old age he cares a damn about a 10-year-old kid that might be in the league 15 years from now? Or does he care right now about, you know, wetting his beak, getting some money in his pocket tomorrow? So I think that's the issue there. Yeah. That, that, you know, not to cut you down, because like I said, I agree with you. I'm just, you know, kind of playing devil's advocate, if you will, literally and figuratively devil's advocate. Well done. That is the take from the ownership is that they don't really care about growing the game at the international level because they're not going to be even around to get those returns on investment. They want money today because they are owed a lot of money from from COVID and what they lost out on. The Beijing aspect is looming, and that is huge too. Like you said, the Beijing quarantine is a lot different than a Boston quarantine. If this was 2010 and the Olympics were in Vancouver, I don't even think we'd be having this discussion right now. They'd be going 1,000%. Because there's a lot more, you know, and I got to be really careful about saying this. I don't know how high up we are on the Chinese hockey podcast charts. But, like, I think there's a trust level. You know, if, if the if the games were held in Canada, the United States, or, or you know, Sweden for that matter. Uh, versus, you know, the games being in Beijing. So, and I'll just leave it at that. There are multiple things at play here. I spoke to one, and I tweeted this out the other day, and... Just to add a little bit more context to it, I spoke to a player on an Eastern Conference team in the Metropolitan Division that is not going to the Olympics. So this particular player is not even close to making an Olympic roster. However, I had a discussion with with them about some of the guys that are on that roster that are on those Olympic shortlists for for a couple of teams. What has been the vibe amongst them? And and what, what this player told me was that there are starting to be asked questions of them, them meaning the players that are on these Olympic shortlists, by management and ownership about their intentions and, you know, what what they are doing to, you know, prepare themselves to enter, you know, training camp for Team Canada, USA, and the European teams as well. So it's not like this is something that's coming up out of the blue just because there's a couple of positive COVID tests, right? Like ownership and management are starting to get a little impatient as well and want to kind of know what's going on here. So, like I said at the beginning of this, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I just think that uh, because of the short-sightedness and, and the age of owners and the fact that they need money now and 
they're not going to get it tomorrow by going to you know Beijing and playing the games on NBC nonetheless. Yeah, that's they, funny. it's ironic and funny too. So it's like they they know that they're better served by keeping you know keeping these arenas open and taking the week pause because in the in the second draft of the NHL schedule, if they were to not go to the Olympics, they'd have off for the All Star break. Then there'd be a week break after the All-Star break. And then instead of having a three-week break for the Olympics, there would just be a single-week break. And then they resume games in that second week. So, they're, uh, listen, it's not an easy argument. And I, if I sound like I'm at a loss for words, I am. Because I understand the passion and I want the NHL players there. I think best on best is the most important thing at the Olympics. Viewership was down for hockey, you know, in, in uh, 2018 at the Olympics in, in Pyongyang. So, recovering for for the game at an international level would require having the best players there in Beijing. I just don't know how many postponements we have left. I know two doesn't seem like a lot, but you have to make up those games somehow. And the NHL is going to hold this leverage chip over the players and say, how late do you really want to play in the year? Because if you go and we keep postponing these games, Stanley Cup Finals isn't going to start in June. It's going to start in July again. And I think that's the leverage yeah. chip that the NHL is trying to play against the Players Association right now is how late do you want to run with this? I think you guys would also be better off in the long run not going. How bad do you want to get to your cottage in Kelowna? Is Basically, yeah, I no, it's a figured. great deduction from what I just said because I think that's the question that's being asked. Let's let's pick up the Olympic argument when we, when we have some more clarity um, moving forward. I just want to rip through the last couple topics here. Next up, we have Evander Kane, who has been waived by the Sharks for the purpose of going to their AHL affiliate. He was seen skating with the team this morning, so he has reported anything on Evander Kane and where he might be headed. So the New York, Repo- uh, the New York Post reported that there was an Eastern Conference team that was interested in making a move for Evander Kane. There's one team in particular that I've heard, uh, not directly, and that's why I'm not going to say the team name, but they're in their Metropolitan Division. It's not the Rangers or the Islanders, or the Devils for that matter. But there's the team in the Metropolitan Division that's interested in Patrick Kane. The name came up to me, not that they are directly interested, but by process of elimination from some other teams that are not interested in Patrick Kane, combining with the fact that this GM has a penchant for these types of moves, bringing in a player that's asset is completely depreciated to nothing, maybe rehabilitating him in the lineup getting him you know, through a three-team deal where his salary is basically retained to nothing, and, and then rehabilitating him in the lineup, the, that this team is not a world beater right now. I think you can figure out who I'm talking about. Um, I don't know directly that they are specifically the team involved in this trade for Evander Kane, but there is some interest. I, I mean, he's talented. You have to, if you take, if you separate the talent from, from the player, it's, it's very hard to do, but the hockey talent is there, so... He's gonna go play in in, in uh, with the Barracuda. I think are they San Jose as well? San Jose Barracuda. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I think they're uh, so he's gonna play with the Barracuda in the AHL and try to get himself out of the mess that he kind of got himself into. I know he changed representation to Dan uh, Dan Milstein, who represents a lot of players um, from the Russian Federation. So the KHL is always an option if if the NHL is oh in for Vanderkane, and he would be loved Imagine over if there. Imagine that dude. If, if that dude goes to the KHL, the stories that would come out about him, oh my God. I I almost don't want him to because I'm concerned for his livelihood. Yeah. 
So that's, listen, probably the nuclear option, but an option nonetheless for Evander Kane. But I wonder, I think the safe money right now is on him going to play with the Barracuda, trying the best he can to rehabilitate his image and his game, and then hopefully... He gets either called back up to San Jose out of desperation because they need a they they need a warm body in the lineup, or some team gets desperate enough to say that we need a warm body in the lineup and we're going to take this chance. I think that's I don't think the KHL is an option. It's not going to get traded tomorrow. I think it's going to be a anticlimactic ending right now in the sense that he's going to go and rehab in the AHL. He's a dude that I do not touch with a fifty foot pole because one. If he goes to a veteran team that's trying to win now, the guys are going to fucking hate him and not want him to be part of that culture. If he goes to a young team that's trying to win in the future as like a cap dump, he is going to poison that locker room. Give me a pass on signing Evander Kane. Let's go with the Islanders. Now, NRD, do the Islanders officially suck? Yes or no? Yeah, they officially suck, and and I'm sorry, Islanders fans, because... Like I said last week, you have many, 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 many valid excuses. But the issue is, and as we said last week, eventually, you know, this comes to a head, right? Like, you can have all the excuses in the world, but when you're 20 points out of a playoff spot come come January, like, it doesn't matter that you had those excuses. You're just not good this year. So... I think we're closer and closer to the punt on this season point for Lula Amarello. Quite honestly, I th- would say not knowing much, but taking an educated guess, that's probably why we haven't seen the Islanders make that move for a defenseman at this point. Because maybe Lou sees the writing on the wall, and that could be possible, and I could be way off base with that because it's Lula Amarello. And there's very few times where I have a clue into what Lou's doing. But they're not good. And they're struggling at home, and we thought that was going to be the big thing for them, to have that homecoming. I The COVID situation is a disaster for them, and, you know, like I said, val- very valid excuse. But at the same time, the guys that are there are not performing well, right? Like, Wallstrom's in the lineup, and their most of their fourth line has been intact. The grind line, or whatever you want to call them. Like, they've been intact, and they've been severely underachieving this season. They've been kind of shut down in terms of what they bring to a game. And... That, I think, is a just as much of a concern as the excuse of COVID or injury or not being home to start the season. Like, why are these guys that are completely healthy underperforming when when they have the opportunity now to shine because they're some of the top guys in the lineup? So that's the concern with me with the New York Islanders. I'd be ready to say they officially suck, but please don't kill me, Islanders fans. I buy every excuse you're selling to me. They might be a very different-looking team in 2000. 2000- 22 based on uh, the guys that are expiring contracts this year. Looking forward to that. And their $9 million of goaltending tandem that is not performing up to snuff. Now, next up, the UFA or the pending UFA defenseman market. Do any of these names mean anything to you, NRD? Ready? John Klingberg, Ben Sherratt, and Colin Miller. John Klingberg. First to go off that list, you think? He's by far and away the best defenseman on that list. And the fact that the Stars don't have him locked up yet probably is concerning for fans in Dallas. And it's, you know, blood in the water for the Sharks of the, not the San Jose Sharks, but the Sharks meaning the GMs around the league. 
that are looking for defensive help. You know where I'd love to see John Klingberg? Boston. Ooh. They certainly need help on the defensive And not only do they need help on the blue line, they need truly defensive help on the blue line. And John Klingberg is a defenseman's defenseman through and through. So I love that fit. Nothing there yet, but that's where I'd like to see him end up. And there are teams that are going to be extremely interested in Klingberg. Little like uh, Chucky Bright Lights, John Klingberg. Stay at home and create some offense in that pairing. I don't hate that idea. Well done, NRD. Um, anything before we move on on Miller or Ben Sherratt? I know Ben Sherratt probably would like to get out of the situation he's in. Currently. I would put my money on that as well. Another name that you know always comes up this time of year is Jeff Petrie in Montreal. and Big dude. Very big dude. Hits hard. And Jeff Gorton coming to that situation, listen, he has no attachment to anybody in that roster. So for off and on for the past couple of seasons, we heard Jeff Petrie rumors. I wonder if those that noise starts up and then it's real smoke this year just because there's no, there's no attachment there. So everybody in Montreal is at the mercy of Jeff Gordon at this point. Including Mr. Cole Caulfield. I just listen, kidding. He's I'd probably safe. <laughs> uh, let me hedge on that a little bit. If there's anybody that's safe, it's probably Cole Caulfield. Last thing I have for you, NRD, and what's up this week. Lucas Raymond somehow was not designated to the 55-man, um, whatever the Olympic uh, doping testing protocol is, ahead of the Beijing Games. Sweden has applied for a uh, an exception in order to have his name be included on the list. How, if you're Sweden, are you not putting him on the list before this all happened? Yeah, it's a failure by Sweden. I, I if I'm not, is Daniel Alfredson involved somehow in the organization, the Olympic team? I believe he is, but none uh, nonetheless, it's a failure. I looked up Daniel Alfredson, Sweden, like an idiot, and. Like, obviously. Um, I don't know. Good question. I, I heard he is. I'm not 100% sure on that. And I'll and I'll, uh, I'll put a correction and letter to the editor on Twitter if I'm wrong on that. But it's a mistake by the Sweden front office there to not include him on the list. He's before this outbreak this season uh, of Lucas Raymond, of everybody loves Raymond in Detroit. He's probably one of the most talented forwards that the country of Sweden has produced in a very long time. So I don't understand why he wasn't on the list to begin with the fact that they're seeking an exemption from from the IIHF and the Olympic Committee probably not an issue he's going to be on that list at some point I mean I think it was Sidney Crosby 10 years ago or so when when steroids were a thing in the MLB they asked Sidney Crosby about steroids and hockey and doping and things of that nature and he basically said look around a hockey locker room like they just, you know, we're, we got all power in the legs, but none of these guys are jacked or anything like that. So I think Lucas Ram is just going to piss in a couple, couple of times over, and then he'll be fine to go for Team Sweden. And rightfully so. He's probably the best player on Team Sweden right now. I will take uh, Team Sweden with whatever odds they have to win the gold medal in Beijing. The Americans get a lot of talk. The Canadians get a lot of talk. That roster is loaded. With talent. I think Sweden, I'm going to join you on that. I would say early, early, early predictions. I'm going to say Sweden for the gold if the NHLers go. If the NHLers don't go, I believe the Russians repeat. 
Ooh, the Russians have a center problem, though. They have a KHL solution. <laughs> what are the current odds? Canada plus 200, United States plus 300, Russia plus 400, Sweden plus 600. Value. Hammer Sweden. Uh, again, again, if, if they if go. If they go. If they don't go, it's, it's uh, the oh, KHL no. All-Stars for the athletes from the Russian Federation or whatever the how they're called Russian Olympic Committee since they're still banned from the uh, from the Olympics send you and I on RD here we go we'll go to Beijing cover the games that's going to do it for us on the cold stove pod give us a uh, a subscription on iTunes hit us uh, get us a follow on Spotify maybe a rating maybe a review tell a friend about the podcast I am Brad Merriman at Schmerriman. That's NRD at NHL Rumors Daily. NRD, want to hit anything before we nope. head out? Appreciate the reviews and the uh, subscriptions on Apple. If you're on Spotify, follow us. Like you said, I understand there's no review thing on Spotify. So maybe just tweet us. If you're a Spotify listener, tweet us. Tell us how we're doing. We'd love to hear it. And uh, we'll share some of the best. We'll read them out on here. Keep up the, uh, the love and support. We appreciate it. I love it. Hit us on Twitter at Cold Stove Pod, and we will see you guys next week. Bye.